Welcome to Canada's National Bible Hour. This is Brian Albrecht, your host. Today our scripture is taken from the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 3, which says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Notice all of our blessings are in Christ. Jesus Christ is the one who loved us and died for us. He's also the one that rose from the dead and is seated at the right hand of God the Father. He's the one that's watching over us. And he's the one that brings us into a saving knowledge of, of himself. And he's the one that allows us to receive himself as our Savior. He's the one that ministers to us spiritually and helps us to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he's the one that blesses us each day. And he's the one that we need to serve and love each day. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, early in the morning our song shall rise. Continue this week's episode of the Global Times with Pastor Doug Wilson and his wife Linda with their report on the outreach in India. So, Doug, looking ahead in the future, potential for returning, what do you think that looks like and have the audience pray for future ministry for India? Well, I think the personal ministry is uh, the vital link because something happens in the Holy Spirit when we are among God's people. When we're there sharing from our heart with an open scripture, I do think maybe the larger scale things are maybe not as wise. I think the smaller regional things at the local church or the regional level are a lot wiser approach. They don't demand the attention uh, from the central government. They're not as much threatened by those things. I think there's another uh, dimension to this too, where most of the ministries that we have there that are involved with either education or, or humanitarian relief in one way or another are usually treated much better uh, by the central government. And I think that might be a macro level consideration for other of our countries around the world 
to be involved in education, to be involved in medical care, to be involved in humanitarian relief, to be involved in these various structural things that are bringing benefit and relief to people from all backgrounds uh, that the central government actually sees as being a help to the people uh, beyond just our uh, matters of faith uh, in, in our churches. Uh, so that's what we see moving ahead, energizing and enabling the nationals to carry on. That has been the paradigm that we have passionately pursued and continue to do. They have the training. I'm not going in and doing the same training over again with them. They have to do it. And when we equip and enable them, that empowers them actually with the joy of Christ. Some of them get down on their knees and pray for God's grace to have to stretch into areas where they don't feel comfortable. They don't feel ready, but they are the ones that have to carry it on. And sometimes it takes uh, some tough love in order to bring that message to them that now they have been given something that they must steward and do something with. And hopefully, whether it's in Africa or Asia, Central or South America, North America, or wherever in the far or Middle East, there will be an equipping of the nationals within their culture in the indigenous church movement to carry on with the truth that is transcultural. We give that to them and then they apply it regionally uh, with their own language, their own knowledge of culture and are able to see fruit that they follow up on with evangelism and discipleship, with mentoring, with shepherding the people. Uh, as God allows, we have to be just very careful and mindful uh, that this vile world is not a friend to grace to help us on to God. We have to trust God, believe him, have faith in him, and thank him when he gives us experiences like this last trip where we were carried by the Holy Spirit into wonderful, fruitful, and <laughs> unbelievably warm, welcoming uh, opportunities uh, through those uh, many different seminars and ministry opportunities. Thank you so much for listening to Canada's National Bible Hour. As you're aware, this is a listener-supported program, and we would not be on the air without your help, prayers, and support. We are coming into the summer months, and that's a time when people like to be outside. They like to be more active than through the winter months, and they go on vacations. And fortunately, through the summer months, we have a dip in our income. And so we would ask you to pray that God would help us through these summer months, as it's always difficult to fund ministries through this time. This month, we're offering a wonderful booklet. It was written by Dr. Fred Hartman, one of the speakers on our broadcast. It's entitled Lifestyles on Earth When Jesus Returns. And what he does in this booklet is to explain the scriptures that talk about the end times and, the, and how life will be on earth when Jesus does return. And then he compares it to today's events, their political events, their historical events that are happening today. And it's a wonderful booklet and it's very encouraging. And when after you read it, you realize that we are in the last days and the Lord could return soon. And I, so I would pray that you would write in and ask for your copy of Lifestyles on Earth. When Jesus returns, you will not be disappointed. You can write to Canada's National Bible Hour, Box 1210, St. Catharines, Ontario, L2R787, or in the United States at Box 2010, Buffalo, New York, 14231. Sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour.
Today's message is from Dr. Fred Hartman. I know that you're going to enjoy this message today. Printed copies are available upon request. Today we're going to begin a new series that will last for some time. We're going to be studying the highlights from the greatest prophets of all time, Isaiah. This book has been held in highest esteem by both Jewish people and Christians as well. It will not be a verse-by-verse study as that would be too long for radio but instead we'll look at the highlights to get an overview of this great prophetic book. To get started, we must first get to know the author of the book, learn a little about his life, the time of writing it, and why he wrote the book. We do not have a lot of biographical material on him, but we know that he was the son of Amos. We also know that he was married and had two sons named Shir Jashub and Meher Shalah Hashbaz. He lived somewhere between 750 and 680 B.C. He prophesied during the reign of at least four kings of Judah, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. He must have lived a little while after Hezekiah died during the reign of Manasseh. We know that because he wrote a biography of Hezekiah according to Second Chronicles 32-32. According to tradition, his death was by being sawed in two. These years in the history of Israel were a time of great political and spiritual struggle. The northern kingdom of Israel had declined so far that they fell to the Assyrian Empire in 722 B.C. At that time, it looked as though Judah would also collapse, but the hand of God miraculously prevented that by slaying 185,000 Assyrian troops. In the midst of this political struggle and spiritual decline, Isaiah was sent by God to deliver his message to the people of Judah. That message was that they should trust in God, who had promised them a glorious kingdom through the messages of Moses and David. Isaiah urged the people of Judah not to depend upon alliances with Egypt or any other power to protect them for the Lord was the only protector they would need. The book of Isaiah has often been called the fifth gospel because of its emphasis on salvation and the coming Messiah. Judah had sinned and would be judged. God would save a remnant out of Israel, purified through the fire of his judgment 
and forgive their sins. God would usher in a universal messianic kingdom marked by the return of God's visible presence, the Messiah, with complete peace, justice, righteousness, and the bestowing of great blessing upon redeemed Israel. Ultimately, all of God's purposes of judgment and salvation will be executed through the Messiah, who Isaiah calls his servant, Redeemer, Holy One of Israel, Branch of David, Emmanuel, the Light of Israel, a Light to the Gentiles, a Tried Stone, a Precious Cornerstone, the Righteous King, and the Messenger of God's Presence. The book of Isaiah can be divided into two parts. It has 66 chapters, just like the Bible has 66 books. 39 make up the Old Testament and 27 the New Testament. The first 39 chapters of Isaiah deal with the judgment on Israel because of their sinfulness. They also deal with God's judgment on other nations because of their sins and as well as the way they treated Israel. This problem of sin must be addressed before God can bless. Chapter 40 through 66 deals primarily with the salvation and comfort. Here the emphasis is on redemption from sin. It also shows us God's sovereignty over all other gods. Now we're ready to examine chapter 1. In the first verse of this chapter, Isaiah makes it clear that he's writing about the things that he saw plus what God communicated to him through visions. His focus in the book will be on Judah and Jerusalem. He was very familiar with Jerusalem and the temple. When he wrote the book, Israel was about to succumb to Assyria, and the southern kingdom would fall to Babylon about a hundred years later. In verses 2 through 9, God lays out his indictment against Jerusalem. We read, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib. But Israel does not know my, no, my people do not consider. A lost sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a brood of evildoers, children who are corrupted. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked to anger the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away from uh, backward. Why should you be stricken again? You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick and the whole heart faints. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it. But wounds and bruises and putrefying sores, they have not been closed or bound up or soothed with ointment. Your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Strangers devour your land in your presence, and it is desolate as overthrown by strangers. 
So the daughters of Zion are left as a booth in a vineyard, as a hut in a garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. Unless the Lord of hosts had left to us a small remnant, we would have become like Sodom and we would have been made like Gomorrah. Isaiah, speaking for the Lord, cried out for the heavens and the earth to hear God's accusations against his people. We saw in these verses that God had been so faithful to his children, but they still rebelled against him. Even dumb animals obeyed their masters and were aware of the source of their care. They were more aware of their benefits than Israel was of God's care of them. Turning their back on God brought real consequences. These had been promised in Deuteronomy 28, if they turned against the Lord. He was reminding them here of the results of disobedience. Isaiah used the figure of a person who's sick and who was covered with open sores all over his body. By doing this, he was speaking of their coming destruction. They would be desolate, burned, and, and invaded by others. Their dwellings would be only in temporary shacks, like what was used for a short time by those who harvested the crops. Finally, except for a godly remnant, the Lord would have destroyed them as they did Sodom and Gomorrah. As I read these verses, my thoughts went to our own nations. In effect, we have done the very same thing that Israel is accused of by God. These were his own special people, and he brought some terrible judgment on them because they had forsaken him. When I look at how our nations have turned their backs on God today, should we expect less judgment from them or from him than what came upon his own beloved chosen people? In verses 10 through 20, God gives a message to the nation on how they should deal with their sins. First, he likened the rulers and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to Sodom and Gomorrah and told them they had better listen to what he had to say. He asked the people a rhetorical question. What was the purpose of all the multitude of sacrifices they were offering to him? The people had assumed that making sacrifices and being ceremonially clean was all that God wanted. The Lord made it clear to them that he was sick and tired of all their hypocrisy. Their hearts were full of sin. Their holy days with their sacrifices made on them were nothing more than a stench in God's nostrils. Their prayers were not getting through to him. He says that when they spread their hands before him, he would hide his eyes from them. <coughs> he was tired of their ways, so he would not hear from them. To top it off, their hands were full of blood. Let me pause here for a moment to bring this into the present day. There's so many people who go through all the ritual of church attendance trying to look religious before God, 
but there's no reality in them. They might look good on Sunday, but they live a life all week that is completely dishonoring to the Lord. Ritual without reality of knowing Christ and walking in daily fellowship with him is as useless as what the people were doing in the days of Isaiah. What is your life like before God today? Beginning in verse 16, God offers them a way out of their wicked, sinful condition. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doing before my eyes. Cause to do evil, cease to do evil. God offered forgiveness to the truly repentant person, but he promised only judgment to those who continually rejected him. Most of the people felt they could live any way they wanted to as long as they kept up the ritual sacrifices required under the law. 3,000 years ago, Solomon said, there was nothing new under the sun. People do the very same thing today. Verse 18 is the one that is often quoted. Come ye and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. They are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Here, God made a great offer to a sinful and wicked people. For them to reason together was not a call for negotiations, as you cannot argue with God. Instead, it was a plea to acknowledge the depths of their sin and repent. If they would do that, then God would change them from scarlet, that which is, comes from a worm, to be as white as snow. They could either do that or face the alternative we will see in the verses that follow. Even though we live some 3,000 years later, God's offer to us still holds true today. We are all sinners, and God offers forgiveness through repentance and faith in his Son, Jesus Christ, who has paid the awful price for our sins through his death and sacrifice at Calvary. The alternative of God's call for repentance are two in number. We find them in verses 19 and 20. If you're willing and obedient, you shall see the good of this land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. The choice was theirs. They could either receive blessing from God or die by the sword. Today, you have a similar choice to make. You can either trust Christ as your Savior or face an eternity in hell. The choice is simply yours. In verses 21 to 23, we find God who was brokenhearted because the nation would not turn or not heed his call for national repentance. In the Old Testament, Israel is often called the wife of God. Well, in the New Testament, the church is called the Bride of Christ. 
At one time, Jerusalem was as a very faithful wife. Here, Israel has turned so far away from God that he looks upon her and calls her a prostitute. She has marred the covenant relationship between them and gone her own way. Their silver and wine were worthless and useless. They were full of bribes, and everyone wanted to be rewarded with something they did not deserve. They had also forgotten the needs for the needy. In the next two verses of chapter 1, God declares his sentence on the nation. In verses 24 through 26, God no longer acts as accuser of Israel for her sin, but now he becomes the judge. He will get rid of those who are his enemies. He will purge them to get rid of the dross. They will either die or go into captivity as punishment for their sins. Beginning with verse 26, everything changes. The prophet Isaiah looks into a day that is still future. From today even, I will restore your judges as at the first and your counselors as at the beginning. Afterward, you shall be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. Zion shall be restored with justice and her penitence with righteousness. This verse is speaking of what will happen to Israel during the future millennial reign of Christ when he returns to earth as King of kings and Lord of lords. Finally, in the last four verses of the chapter, we have what will happen to those who reject the call of the Lord. The destruction of transgressors and sinners shall be together, and those who forsake the Lord shall be consumed, for they shall be ashamed of the terebinth trees which you have desired, and you will be embarrassed because of the gardens which you have chosen, for you shall be as a terebinth whose leaf fades, and as a garden that has no water. The strong shall be as tinder, and the work of it as a spark. Both will burn together, and no one will quench them. Just as those in the days of Isaiah, who rejected the call of the Lord and perished, so will be the end of anyone who rejects God's offer of salvation today. So the choice is up to you. It means the difference between an eternity in heaven or hell. I trust the message that you just heard will be a great blessing to you throughout this next week. It's Canada's National Bible Hour's heart that those who listen to us could grow in their faith, that some of the scriptures that are shared meaningful to you as you meditate upon what was just spoken to you. And we pray for those who may not know Jesus Christ personally. And so we share the gospel here at the end because we think it's really important. The Bible says it's by grace you're saved through faith. It's not of yourselves, lest any man should boast. The gospel is simply this that you are a sinner. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
We understand that the wages or the payment for our sin is death, that's spiritual death, that's separation from God, that's eternity in a place called hell. But the gift of God, the thing that Jesus Christ did, the thing that God the Father did for us, is he sent his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him, have your faith in him, will not perish, but have everlasting life. And so we're asking you, if you've never received Jesus Christ personally into your life, to ask him to come in. And if you're sincere and if you're repenting of your sins, you're confessing your sins to God, you will be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's the verse that brought me to Jesus Christ. And I've served him now for some 65 years. Remember to write in to get your copy of Lifestyles on Earth When Jesus Returns. This is by Dr. Fred Hartman, and I highly recommend this uh, to encourage you that the Lord is coming soon. Please write to Canada's National Bible Hour, Box 1210, St. Catharines, Ontario, L2R 7A7, or in the United States at Box 2010, Buffalo, New York, 14231. You can also get past broadcasts on our mission website, That's www.missiongo. I trust that you'll continue to listen to our internet radio. You can get us at MGO Radio. You can listen to us 24-7. We have good messages on there. We have good Christian music on there. And it will be a real blessing to your heart and to your soul as you listen to that each day. I trust that the Lord will continue to bless you and watch over you this next week. Please pray for us. And we ask that you would continue to Ask the Lord to help us to continue this broadcast on the air. May the Lord bless you and keep you in a mighty way.